Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Amen. I want to share a couple thoughts today from the Bible. And uh, if if you're new to Vivid Church, you're going to find out real quick that I care about the Bible a lot. We as a church, we care about the Bible a lot. We don't want to just build in traditions. We want to be people who actually uh, experience Jesus from his revealed word. I believe the Bible. I believe it from the beginning to the end. I believe what it says. I believe the way it applies to my life brings power. There have been times and areas in the Bible where I look at that and say, that doesn't seem right. But the more I dig, the more I find it's my presupposition that's out of place. It is my assumption that's out of place. Or maybe it's just my lack of scholarship that has led me to believe the Bible saying something that it isn't. And so every week I want to faithfully open the word myself or one of our team as we preach to open the word and believe that God would speak through it. And today is no different. I want to speak to you today around the topic, it's time to worship. It is time to worship. Vivid Church, I'm telling you, it's time to worship. Now, imagine if I said, so we're going back into worship and we just threw some worship back on. That's not what I'm talking about just yet. But it's time for us in this season, in this time, to become people who are dedicated to, sold out to, committed to worshiping Jesus. There is freedom that comes in worship. There is power that comes in worship. There's boldness that comes in worship. There is evangelism that births out of a place of worship. It's time to worship. For some, that means as you continue to be part of church at home, that it's time for you to really engage in the worship component of church at home. To actually, you know, turn your heart towards Jesus and and soften your heart towards him and and allow your focus to go to Jesus and and not just to kind of zip through the singing to get to the talking. For others, uh, it's a call back to gathering. If you're able to, come back and be in person. Not that this isn't important, but if you're able to be with people, be with some people. In fact, being with people is so important that if you are watching from somewhere outside of the Vancouver or Toronto area, or if you are watching and feeling like I'm a little bit vulnerable to be out in public, I want to encourage you, gather with those who you can. Gather with those who are you, you are able to. Maybe it's your roommates or your family members, maybe uh, some neighbors or people who are kind of within your personal bubble, but gather with some people. There's power that comes in, in being together to worship. It's time to worship. And so I want to look at a passage of scripture that was a constant daily reminder for the first readers of this passage of scripture that it was time to worship. In fact, this particular passage of scripture uh, was read and quoted three times a day uh, as kind of a traditional practice, twice in the morning and once at night. Wake up in the morning and, and make this your prayer and then do it again. And then before you go to sleep again, there was this, this prayer, this, this song of worship that was sung. It's a powerful thing to say every time is a time to worship. Morning time, great time to worship. Nighttime, fantastic time to worship. That, that really to say worship is not something I am leaving for a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. Worship is not just something when I happen to make my way through my Spotify, uh, you know, uh, playlist and it comes up on a, a Mav City song and then I'm going to have a moment of worship. Worship is a discipline and we say it's time now. Like wherever we are, it's time 
to worship. And so this particular passage of scripture, Psalm 145, like I said, was commonly read three times a day. It's the last passage of scripture attributed to David, King David, who wrote a a big piece of the book of Psalms, this worship book that's kind of in the middle of the Bible. And uh, the last song that he wrote, or the last song attributed to him at least, is Psalm 145. And it it goes something like this. I'd love to read the entire thing for you. Now, I don't know how many people tuned in today to watch someone on YouTube reading, but I I just think there's so much power in the the word of God as it is proclaimed. So I want to read it to you today, and I want to ask you focus. Now, maybe for you, focusing, it it helps if you get out a pen and you kind of doodle something or take some notes. Maybe for you, focusing is just kind of putting aside the distractions you have and, and, and Cluing in, maybe it's actually opening up your Bible and reading along. But I'm going to read this whole passage and then just highlight a few things that I think are going to help you in your worship life, that are going to help us collectively as we become people of worship who say it's time to worship. It says this, Psalm 145, beginning at verse 1. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I'll praise you. I will extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich. In love, the Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might, so that all the people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. And the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who fall. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open their hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. I want to encourage you today. Maybe worship hasn't been something that comes very naturally to you. Maybe you've had a hard time learning how to sing. Maybe you don't like the sound of your own voice, and so you think God might feel the same. By the way, he doesn't. He loves the sound of your voice. But I want to encourage you to grow in worship. One of the greatest ways you could do it is a passage of Scripture like this. In fact, I'm challenging every person in our church every day this week, read Psalm 145. Read it out loud. Read it like you mean it. Read it like you believe it. And let it inform your heart to worship. Now, as you read it, I want to give you a few things that might be noteworthy as you're reading. That you'd say, this is a little thing that I could learn from or an area that I could grow in. Okay? This is really practical. It's actually more of like the the seven-day worship challenge than it is even a sermon. It's really practical. Okay? Verse 1, there are, are four little 
tests of our worship, four tests of our heart of worship. You see, in in, uh, Psalm 145, verse 1, it says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. In this one sentence, there are four tests. First of all, a test of directness. Is your worship direct? David, as he begins this song, says, I will exalt you. It's direct. He's really clear that this is me. And uh, like I am the the subject here that is uh, making exaltation or praise, and you are the recipient. It's direct. You know, some of us, we, we have such a kind of a, a, a ethereal view of worship. It's just kind of hard to put our finger on. We don't really know what it is. There's a feeling. Maybe it's someone on the keyboard. Yeah, I mean, like Jack gets up on the keyboard and he, he plays that pad and you're like, oh, now I'm kind of feeling it. But right here, it says this. It's just very direct. I will exalt you. I want to ask you, test your heart. Am I being direct in worship? Is worship something that ever even enters my consciousness? Does it ever even enter my mind to set aside some time to worship? Worship will strengthen you. Worship will will focus you. Worship will fill you up from the inside out. It's so powerful when we begin to worship. So are you being direct with your worship? Or is it something that is the last thing on your mind, the last resort, or only when you find yourself in corporate settings? It's a good test of our heart of worship. If it's truly the time to worship, then let's be direct with our worship. Number two, we see this test, the test of, of whether or not it's personal. He says, I will exalt you, my God. You know, there's a certain ownership that comes with this type of worship that understands I am not just exalting the God. I am certainly not just exalting a God. I'm exalting my God. God is personal to me. The love of Jesus is available and personal to you. It's been poured out for you to grow in your faith with God. And so when you worship, it's not only direct, God, I am the one who, who's, who's making a sound of praise and you are the recipient of that praise, but it's also personal. You know, we're not trying to get God's attention. We already have it. We're not trying to get God's favor. It's already been given to us. There is this personal ownership that comes when you understand that, that God is not just the God of the universe. He's not just the one who has got the whole world in his hand. He's my God. He's your God. And, and maybe this week, even as you read this passage of scripture every day, you'd find yourself growing a little more personal in your revelation of the love that God has for you. You need to know this. God doesn't just love people. He loves you. God doesn't just forgive people. He forgives you. God doesn't just accept us in our brokenness. He accepts you in your brokenness. God doesn't just call certain people. He calls me. He calls you. He doesn't just gift those who need it. He he gives his gifts to, to me and to you. He doesn't just pour out wisdom on some. He has wisdom available for you and for me. It's a personal thing. Is your worship direct? Is your worship personal? Number three, he says this, I will exalt you, my God, the king. There is this understanding that David is surrendered. Now, interestingly, David's role, David's calling, David's anointing in his job was to be the king of his people. So this is a king writing to his king. This is a king writing in surrender to to his God. I want to ask you this. Is your worship to God truly surrendered? Have you said, God, you're the king of my life? See, see, for David to understand, 
that, that he was supreme over an entire nation and yet God was supreme over him. It was this surrendered position of heart that no one would have ever forced out of him. Maybe in your life you feel like, man, life's hard on me. I'm always sort of forced to, to look up to others or, or, or to kind of recognize that I'm not that great. But, but when it comes to worship, it has to be in this place where you're truly surrendered, where you say it's not just direct and it's not just, you know, personal but I'm also surrendered in my heart. One of the greatest ways you could test this, is there an area of your life that you're not willing to let God speak into? If so, he's not yet your king. I've heard it said before, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so let me ask you, is your worship to God surrendered? Or do you sing songs out of one side of your mouth and say, but God, don't, don't confuse this. I, I don't want your input in this area of my life. As I continue to develop a heart of worship, I find myself more and more willing to open my hands and say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. You, you can have it all. My strengths and my weaknesses, my, my disappointments and my, the things that make me excited, it's all yours. My victories and my losses, all yours. And as we live that truly surrendered place, we actually invite the authority of God, the power of God to move in our lives. So is your worship direct? Is your worship personal? Is your worship surrendered? And then lastly, it says this, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Is your worship unending? Now, it might be kind of hard to prove. You go, well, how can I prove if it's unending? I, I'm not over yet. I still have breath in my lungs. Very good point. But, but what you can say is, are you continuing to grow in worship? Have you grown through the seasons of your life? Now, for some, the summer is this time where, where you drift. I've seen it happen. I've been a pastor like virtually my whole adult life. I've been around church my whole life. And I've watched this happen over and over and over again, that for a lot of people, church uh, is kind of put on hold in the summer. And uh, as an extension, their, their connection with God, certainly their worship life is sort of put on hold as the summer happens to us. And then we get into this season and we go, oh yeah, I got to get back on track. I want to encourage you today. Don't, don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty. Don't be down on yourself. God's not mad at you. But begin to establish again that unending worship. It's not just seasonal. It's not just weekly. It's unending. So is your worship direct? Is your worship personal? Is your worship surrendered? And is your worship unending? Good little test of worship. As you read this passage of scripture every day this week, you're going to get to the first verse. And as you, you read that first verse, you're going to be able to ask yourself, as I, as I do this, as I engage in scripture and pray these things towards God, Am I actually being direct? I understand that worship's not just, you know, being in a moment. It is me expressing my heart to God because I can be personal, because I am surrendered, and I'm going to keep on growing in this. Good little tests. Good little tests. And as you carry on throughout the, this piece of scripture, you'll also notice this. I think it's, it's really important for us to understand that worship is not uh, isolated to a certain venue. Worship is not just in a corporate setting where there's rows of chairs and maybe a guitar and a keyboard, perhaps some drums, a bass, a few singers, some speakers, and a projector. That, that in and of itself is not just worship. Worship is not isolated to certain environments. Worship is a lifestyle. In fact, as, as we read through verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, it's going on and you'll see that worship is private, it's interpersonal, and it's public. 
He uses words like this, I will meditate on your wonderful works. Do you know when you think about the goodness of God and you allow your thought life to be full of the thoughts of how good God has been, you are engaging in worship. And you can do that on the train. You can do that in a bus. You can do that as you're waiting from one Zoom meeting to the next. You can do that on the go to let your mind turn to the things of God. And if you're direct, personal, surrendered, and you keep on doing that, you're developing worship. It's personal, yes, it's worship. It also says this, that, that we will tell of the power of your awesome works and we will uh, you know, speak together of the glorious splendor of God's majesty. That means that worship is also interpersonal. Do you know when you engage in conversations about God with other believers, that, that's part of worship. In fact, today at a watch party, if you're watching with other people, and this service comes to a close. If you begin to talk about God, you are continuing to worship. It's funny. Sometimes we're like, okay, now it's time to worship. So we sing. And then when the song's over, we're like, okay, worship's now over. Not necessarily the case. Worship can be personal. It can be interpersonal. Worship also ought to be public. It says that we will proclaim and celebrate and tell and joyfully sing. And so as we test our hearts, how's my heart of worship doing? If it's really time to worship, am I being direct, personal, surrendered, and unending? We can actually apply that in whatever arena of life we find ourselves. All alone, then worship in private. In conversation with someone else, worship interpersonally. In a public space, find ways to include uh, moments where you're glorifying God and you are growing in worship. Does this sound all right to everyone? Are you with me? You're still following? I know I'm throwing a lot at you today. And, uh, and, and I'm doing so intentionally because we, we're going to practice this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. That'd be seven times. Every day this week, we're going to practice this, just getting our hearts right in worship because it is time to worship. Now, now let me answer this question for you, and you're going to see it in these scriptures as you read these. In fact, I, I believe some of you, by the time the week's up, you will have memorized Psalm 145. And you will notice that there are many different reasons to worship God listed here. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you just four, okay? Four areas where you can focus your worship on God, where you can remember again and, and give some focus and attention to worship of God. Number one, God is unfathomably Great. Look what it says in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. The Lord is unfathomably great. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Like I have found myself in a moment of worship by simply observing the nature around me and become overwhelmed by the power and the creativity of God. I have found myself overwhelmed in, in the simplicity of like one of my kids laughing and going, oh my goodness, the God is the creator and the author of joy. How amazing is that? The Lord is unfathomably great. I want to encourage you to meditate on the greatness of God. One of the best ways to do this is think of how he's already acted in your life and interacted in your story. God is unfathomably Great. And as you, you recall and recount, as you meditate privately, talk interpersonally, maybe proclaim publicly, you're going to find yourself one of the great reasons to worship God is that he is unfathomably great. Number two, God is graciously compassionate. Look what it says in verse eight. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. He's gracious and compassionate. I love this, uh, this statement right here, slow to anger. I remember when I was originally studying Hebrew, 
this one figure of speech, it's such an interesting little figure of speech because it's got this word picture associated with it as often the Hebrew language does. And this particular statement, slow to anger, is actually that God is long of nose. Now, now follow with me. Wherever you are right now, I want you to make an angry face. Come on, make an angry face. Oh, that was angry. Okay, an angry face. When we make it, watch my nose. Our nose shortens. The Bible says here, God, oh, he doesn't have a shortened nose. He has a long nose. God is slow to anger. God is not prone to overreacting. Instead, he is uh, acting towards us that we might respond to him. The Lord is graciously compassionate. Imagine if God treated us the way we deserved. Imagine if throughout life we, we felt like, well, had that coming, got what I deserved there. It would be a dark and terrible place. But instead, God is graciously compassionate always. He's graciously compassionate. And as you stop and you consider that he hasn't treated you the way your sins deserved and he continues to crown your life with good things, you're going to find yourself worshiping him directly, personally, surrendered, and unendingly. Number three, uh, the, the Lord God is righteously faithful. Look what it says in verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all that he does. Uh, it goes back further, uh, a couple of verses before it says the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. God is always right. He's always, not only in what he does, but in his timing. He is always right. Uh, I, the more and more I recognize and, and consider that my timing is maybe not right and my preference is maybe not the right thing, God has a plan, the better my life of worship grows. The Lord is, is righteously faithful. And lastly, number four. So he's unfathomably great, he's graciously compassionate, he's righteously faithful, and he is also approachably near. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Do you know wherever you are in life, maybe you feel like I'm unqualified to worship, I'm so busted up, my life is not what it ought to be. Guess what? Wherever you are, you can call on God and he is approachable, he is near, he is responsive. God never gives us the cold shoulder. He, he never gives us that passive aggressive uh, rejection. God is near to those who call on him. So not only is he great, not only is he compassionate, not only is faithful, but he's also near. I, I suppose a great God who is unfindable wouldn't be that great. Uh, I, I suppose a compassionate God who was on a coffee break that extended throughout our lifetime wouldn't be that great. I, I suppose a, a faithful God who is faithful at not being near wouldn't be good news, but he's near to those who call on him. Okay, I've given you some challenges, Vivid. Every day this week, read Psalm 145. And as you do, think of these checkpoints. Is my worship direct, personal, surrendered, and unending? As you're, as you're reading this out, think, have I created some time in my life to privately worship, to interpersonally worship, and to publicly worship? And if you need some more fuel for that worship, remember, he's unfathomably great, he's graciously compassionate, he's righteously faithful, he's approachably near. Now let me draw your attention to my favorite part of this passage, and with this I close. It says this in verse 4, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Vivid, this means not only an older generation to a younger, but a younger to an older. Whatever generation you're part of, it is your responsibility to commend of the works of God to other generations. In fact, I would say this. God has chosen by his wisdom that we would be his church in 2020 and 2021. Like we are part of the church globally 
in this season, in this time, and God knew that would be the case, and, and he, he approved that. This is our generation. And the responsibility of our generation of the church is that we would commend of the faithfulness of God to other generations. So we need to develop a heart of worship now that would continue throughout the generations. The other day I took my kids camping. And uh, we, we don't camp that much, um, you know, partly because I, I kind of am grateful that I have a home and, and prefer to not pretend I'm homeless. Uh, camping was kind of, you know, what I remembered it to be. The sleep's not great. The food is also not great, but it's better than the sleep. And so we end up going, oh, this food's delicious, like these hot dogs, you know. And, uh, but we had an awesome time. It was great just to take some moments. We were away from society, actually out of cell range. And we just went dark for about 24 hours, enjoyed our time. We found some cliffs to jump off and, and spend some time together. And for me, the highlight of that time was at midnight, going out into the, the open area by the water and laying out on the beach, looking up at the sky and seeing all these stars. I was laying there on the beach with, with my seven oldest children, looking up at the stars. We saw shooting stars. We looked at constellations. We saw what we're pretty sure was a planet. We just have to identify which one it was. And as we, we sat there, we began to uh, think about the, the, the reality of light years and saying like the light that was leaving that star when, when King David was writing Psalm 145 is now just reaching our eyes. Like it's just wild to think of the vastness of space. And then, then I said to, to my kids, you know, remember in Genesis when God says to Abraham, step outside of your tent and look up at the stars. And if you could count these stars, then you could count your descendants. That's how much I want to bless you throughout all generations. And as we laid there, I'm commending to my kids the faithfulness of God. And then my son, Arrow, who's nine, he was laying right beside me. He said, well, dad, in one way or another, it's kind of like each of these stars represents us. And we're all part of Abraham's heritage. And I'm, I'm like crying as I think of it. Because there I was commending to my son, the faithfulness of God, one generation to another. And then he was commending back the understanding of revelation, his generation to mine saying, I guess I'm part of Abraham's heritage. I'm part of the blessing that God intended on this planet. One generation should commend to the next. I want to be known throughout history as they look back at 2020, 2021, however long this season goes, not for a church that barely hung on by our fingernails and made it through a pandemic, but for one that learned how to worship, that learned how to honor God and, and give him the, the exaltation that he's due directly, personally, surrendered and unendingly, that we would commend the generations to come of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Even right now as you're watching, I want to pray with you today that you'd get a revelation of how much God loves you. That you'd get a revelation of how near He is. His greatness, His compassion, His faithfulness, and His nearness. And I want to pray that a heart of worship would begin to develop in your life, in my life, that it would grow in all of us as we move forward. Jesus, I thank you for our church. I pray for each one of us that we develop a heart of worship. And if there's anyone today who's far from you, that they would call it on the name of the Lord and be saved. Help us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, next Sunday, every day to deepen this conviction and commitment to worship. In your name we pray. Amen. 
We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.